0: We we need to go ahead and saddle them up. See yeah, what we can do. <laughs> my God,
1: that's what you got to
0: do for your barrel pick. Right. <laughs> see how far you can take it. Well, at least you're not throwing
2: me in the shark, so we're good.
3: <laughs> this is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. If you saw a sinking ship, would you jump on board? Well, that was bourbon 25 years ago when clear spirits were winning the game. And Trey Zoller, he joins the show once again to reflect on the past 25 years as we celebrate his 25th anniversary of starting Jefferson's Bourbon. We dive into what it was like trying to break into a community that didn't want newcomers and the hurdles that came along with it. Not to mention how he could get great barrels of bourbon for a steal because no one wanted them. And lastly, we talk about that light bulb moment of oceans and how that has truly become his signature on the industry and if we'll ever see a Jefferson's space-aged release. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Jar.
2: I'm Fred Binnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Patreon member T.M. Leonard, who writes, When tasting distillate or white dog, what is a distiller looking for? What flavors can they identify, or is it more to eliminate strong flavors? Great question. Great question. And I go back to a conversation I had with Bourbon Hall of Famer Jim Rutledge many years ago. And then uh, I later had that same conversation with uh, now passed away and uh, also Bourbon Hall of Famer, Lincoln Henderson. And it was entirely about how you make white dog to put in the barrel. If you made it to drink right off of the still, you would be making it completely different. So when they are when they are making something coming off of the still, They're looking for something that will hold up in the barrel. If it's soft and elegant and really, really something you want to sip like right off the still and just, you know, have it as is, the barrel's going to beat it up. You know, the tannins are going to overtake the spirit. So what they actually create off of the still is intended to be pungent. It should be vegetal. You should smell... The depth of the core, and there should be a lot of oils surviving from uh, distillation there. And really, it should not be something that. Well, it may be palatable. You could maybe you know have a sip on it and have a good time with it. It should not be something that you want to sit by a campfire and, and sip. Now, over time, everybody kind of comes up with their own formula. Maker's Mark is uh, has a very different you know strategy with their white dog than say Heaven Hill does, but at the end of the day, most of them will follow that basic characteristic that the white dog needs to be able to stand up to the barrel and needs to have some pungency, needs to have some uh, some qualities that make it where it will combine better with the wood versus if it was just something you would drink right off the steel. But great question, TM. Hey, this was a question that came from Patreon because our Patreon members are now hitting me up for their above-the-char ideas. If you'd like to become a Patreon member, well, Kenny will tell you all about it. But that's going to do it for this week, folks. Be safe out there. Until next week, cheers.
3: From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. You can order online at Sealbox or the thebourbonconcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Knows Your Bourbon. Welcome everybody. We're back with an episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon. Kenny, Brian, and Fred all here today. Be able to Ayo. talk with another friend of what ours. What is
2: going on up in here?
3: Yes, we're talking to another friend of ours from the show that's been around for for gosh, he was on a long time ago. I'm going to pull it up here in a minute because I should have done my research beforehand. But it's fun to be able to talk to this person because we get to talk about 25 years in the business. I mean, that is. Uh, it's a long time. So. Yeah. That's no short feat. I mean, we've been in for like two and I'm like, good God,
1: <laughs> like, okay. how can we survive 25? But yeah, I love, I love, uh, our guest. I, he's my neighbor sort of kind of in the same neighborhood and I'll see him walk in the path and I'll be like honking. I'm like, I'm going to pull over and start talking to Trey, see what's going <laughs> on, see what he's got going on. What can I pick his brain about and whatnot. Yeah.
2: And you look at what he's done in 25 years. I mean, he's changed the category in a lot of ways. And, uh, He's done shit that nobody else would do. And I think that's one of the best ways I like to frame what Jefferson's has become uh, is is that th- not only thinking outside the box, but thinking outside the country, you know? So, yeah. uh, like, th- the processes that he's brought to American whiskey have really changed the game in a lot of ways. And he got in the business when... Um, nobody else wanted to. When no, no one cared. I mean, bad time to get in the business, by the way. But yes. he did it.
3: Yeah, no, I can't wait to dive into those and dive into those stories from eons ago, what probably felt like eons ago. It's or only decades, Kenny. And 25. <laughs> well, in whiskey in years. <laughs> in whiskey years? It, yeah, whiskey's a lot. Yeah, I one year's like 10 years. I think, you know, we might get jaded to be like, oh, a 17-year-old bourbon, blah, blah, blah. But 17 years ago, like nobody, gave, nobody cared about it. People were putting down this whiskey and you were just kind of praying and hoping that one day people would want to drink it. And now here we are. Few years later, and I think we're starting to realize that. So, Mm -hmm. yep, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. Today on the show, we have Trey Zoller. He is the founder of Jefferson's Bourbon. So, Trey, welcome back to the show. You
0: got it. It's always good to be back with you guys. You know, old friends that's the best part of this industry 25 years of making new friends and old friends and establishing those. As you said, you know, just popping in on the street or getting together here, typically out of town, which makes it so much fun.
3: So I was looking, and so real quick, so he was on episode sixty three. Oh, and man. and surprised he, you answered our calls. Then, <laughs> <laughs> and he was on with his dad in episode one ninety one. Right. So with, that, that was his, great. His, his dad. So this is the third time. Congratulations!
1: We've only. That's right. Yeah.
3: He's in the, the <laughs> no Trey Comic Club. Trey <laughs>
1: Comic Club. You might be the only person been on three times. No,
3: no, oh, there's, right. there's been a few, but yeah, it's it's definitely it's a very small. Very small collective the group. Coolest. He is definitely <laughs> he's at the top of the top of the pyramid there. And his Take- dad, I always love bragging about his dad
2: because Chet was the one of the first uh, bourbon people I met and fanboyed over when I was in the in the just kind of coming up in the game because I was I became such a fan of Jeffersons through uh, through some of the older releases uh, in between like 2005 and 2009, and I met. I met his dad at the uh, at the book fair. He was there like, you know, talking about his new book. And I cornered him. What's a
3: book fair? (laughs) (laughs) You even read? Oh, God. I mean, you're breaking my heart. I know. At least he stabs you in the front, not the back. Jeez. I
1: remember book fairs in, like, elementary school. Yeah, listen.
2: get the scholastic thing, you select. You know, know, people who read and are fans of authors show up and get their book
3: signed. It's, it's It's like a big thing.
2: Like uh, going straight to the core today. Yeah, I, you know, it's God.
3: he's 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 no, no, no he's now holding back today. It's just yeah, he's so ruthless. He's like ruthless three, Cecil. three
2: bourbons in, he's already cutting to my heart. <laughs> so, anyway, so I cornered Chet in the coffee area of where the, where the author's kind of hanging. I was like, you know, and I had this is when my Iraq book came out, and I was like, Chet, I'm such a big fan sir, I'm such a big fan of your whiskey. It's, it knows it's just like a brand. And he's like, oh yeah, that's what we were trying to do. It is like trying to get away from me, <laughs> you know, and, and I've been such a big fan of your dad and I think he should be in the bourbon hall of fame, uh, for I many, agree. many, many reasons. But, uh, you know, that collaboration between you two has been amazing.
3: Yeah.
0: It's been special. That's for sure. And he probably wasn't trying to get rid of you. He just didn't know what a fanboy was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his book, although he's on his fifth edition right now. It's not the most colorful. It's pretty dry, but it is really kind of the bible for distilleries in Kentucky and he's done decades of research
2: to, to- tax records. <laughs> that is what it's all about. He like he traces every tax record and like will. It's Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey, such a great book and it's a coffee table book, but it's it's like it indexes upon indexes of who owned what
0: when and it's a great resource. How many bushels of grain they went through. Yes. The ownership changes. Pretty amazing book. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, at that time, there weren't too many fanboys of his book, that's for sure. So I don't think he was trying to run away from you. He was probably embarrassed and didn't know what to say. <laughs> the, he has a poster out yeah, too. A, yeah, yeah. It's there, too. Yeah. The poster
3: is like all the pre-pro bottles that he had in his collection. That
0: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's down at the Fraser Museum now. Yeah. He, he loves it. He's just eaten up by the history of bourbon.
3: He's a great man. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and talk about you for a minute. So let's let's just roll back the hands of time here. I was I was kind of doing a little bit of digging and saw it, you know, you were twenty-eight years old when you right. started Jefferson's back in nineteen ninety-seven. So let's kind of start there. I wasn't
0: smart enough to do what you guys have done, <laughs> which is to have day jobs as well. Yeah. I quit my job, put everything that I had saved up to that point, and and you know, I was able to source some whiskey. So you know, it didn't need really deep pockets, but I needed deeper pockets than I had. And it was a struggle. I think I made $15,000 the first year.
3: That's that's hardly, maybe maybe enough to survive back then? Like, it's that's <laughs> like rice and beans, mac <laughs> no. and cheese. I like yeah. <laughs> notice I'm divorced
0: now. So <laughs> <laughs> it was not exactly the most lucrative thing to do in the world. But, uh, you know, there, I, I thought there was opportunity. And the reason that I got into it, it's partially because of my dad and what he had done, but also just talking to him and just the romance of the bourbon industry forever. But he, I think it was back in nineteen ninety-three, was on a Delta flight and he picked up a magazine, the Delta magazine, and in the back of it, you could buy a barrel of Bushmill's Irish whiskey. So you buy it in ninety-three, in the year two thousand, it would have been twenty-five years old. He and four friends put in a thousand dollars each, went to Ireland, played some golf you know, tip their hat to the barrel. And, um, I thought if, gosh, if you can buy a barrel in Ireland, why can't we buy them from our friends here in Kentucky? So that's really what gave me the idea to get into the industry. And before that I'd moved to a half dozen different places around the country. And I saw nobody drank bourbon, which, you know, you grew up here in Kentucky, everybody drank bourbon. So I thought there was a great missed opportunity. And I knew we had some beautiful aged whiskey that wasn't being uh, offered to anybody. How did you know
3: that there was aged whiskey that just wasn't being I mean, is it just like a like a hunch, an insider secret? How did you know? Well,
0: that? so I had friends that were in the industry and we'd talk about it. You know, they were in a 30-year decline. So one, just supply and demand, kind of a hunch. But if you talk to them, they had barrels. I'd heard stories about people selling the barrels for the cost of the used wood. So I mean, just giving the juice away, writing it off the books, just getting something for it. <laughs> yeah, just something, just something. And you know, I talked to somebody recently who I bought some of those old Stitzel Well b- barrels from, and you know, they're like, "God, we had no idea what we had." Yeah, you know, <laughs> like what am I thinking? But
1: <laughs> now it sells for five. It, what you may have paid what like five hundred thousand
0: dollars barrel, in. Now it sells for like five thousand a bottle. <laughs> For just I paid less. I did have one of our sales guys recently uh pay more for one pour than I paid for the whole barrel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I was shaking my head when he ordered it and I was like, This is wow, what a what a crazy world. What a you know, just turned upside down industry than it was back then. Because as we said earlier, I couldn't sell it for a hundred dollars a bottle back then. It was a struggle to sell it.
2: Yeah, and you know, where we are now, I mean, you're part of that story of the new blood coming in in the nineties that, you know, had passion and also I had to have boots on the ground in places to, to sell bottles that Jim Beam and some of those other places were kind of ignoring, you know? So, I mean, you're part of the resurgence of American whiskey. Uh, what was it? Give us, give us an idea of what it was like selling whiskey between 97 and say 2002. Were you on allocation then? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Your seventeen-year-old pistol wealth barrels born on allocation? You kidding me?
0: Oh um, gosh, it's you know literally. I, I've been all over this country. I, I know I've been to every town over five hundred thousand people. I, I was schlepping it, you know, trying to break down doors. I would get opening orders from distributors for ten cases. And I, I tell you, as soon as Derby hit and until football season kicked off, I had the old school fax machines. That's where you'd get the orders to come in. Mm-hmm. Once it rolled up and fell on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's
3: it the, like you have to literally, you have to hear it coming in. Right. And you hear the dial
1: tone,
0: bad. tone oh. and you
3: get excited. We right? totally got one
0: coming excited. in.
1: Yeah,
3: <laughs> Here we go. Here comes an order.
0: Ten cases. Uh, <laughs> okay. It was rough, we, it was bottle sales back then. It wasn't case sales, it wasn't pallet sales. It certainly wasn't container sales, it was bottle sales. And just nobody was interested in bourbon. Just outside of the bourbon belt, there was so little interest. And you know, there was some opportunity back then because when I started, there were nine distilleries, or excuse me, distributors in Kentucky. So when a distributor took you on, you know, they weren't just doing it to hide you in the back so somebody else didn't take you. They were actually going to try to push it in certain markets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think our second market was Nashville. I would go down there every Monday, come back on Thursday and just beat the streets every day. Then we went to Atlanta, did the same thing. So it was uh, it was a slow burn and, you know, really, you know, I came close. What were those
1: sales pitch like, you know, to a store or whatever? What would you say and what would they say? <laughs>
0: you know, I've got this great 15-year-old bourbon, you've got to try it. And they're like, why? You know? <laughs> no, it's going to sit there and collect dust. What was
3: the big selling item at the time? Just to give our listeners perspective, like why do people not like bourbon? What was
0: the- Oh, vodka was totally king at the time. If you went to any bar, the back shop, you know, your bar right there would have been 100% vodka. And uh, single malt scotches—they were actually coming on—and that's what really also gave me the inspiration. I was like, if you can do this with scotch, there's an audience out there that wants a better whiskey. And I'm not a scotch fan. I think that bourbon is much better. It's much easier uh, to get into and appreciate. So that you know, that was kind of the hunch as well as there's a market out here. It just we got to introduce it to people and that's not an easy thing to do. Did you ever think about hanging it up? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so during the summer months I did find a market and uh, down in uh, Australia. So I was able to flip the seasons and do some business there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Smart um, move.
0: I got into energy drinks. I had Vegas and pink energy drink. I had a water called pink Two O, So I was put more time into that. Because oh, this is a like
3: bit- a, another separate line extension you were mm-hmm. building. Okay.
0: Yeah, I couldn't make it on bourbon. It just, uh, it it wasn't paying the bills. So, yeah, I thought about giving it up a number of times. It was just like, God, I love this so much. But pink energy, you know. Yeah, pink energy. That's paying some bills. Coca-Cola was talking to us. They were uh, wanting to buy it. Then I had a couple, I had twins. (laughs) And there was mouths to feed and diapers to buy. And so I thought about giving it up a few times. What what made what made you want to come back to it though? Was it just I just a... loved it so much. You know, it just yeah, there's passion. You know, every one of us right here, the passion that we all have about this is you can't do that with anything else. I don't know any other any of anybody I know that has a passion for what they do that we all do. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. I mean, it's it wasn't the most lucrative. I probably could have done, you know, a lot of other things that back then would have made me a lot more money but it was just I enjoyed
3: it did you see it as a a way to say this is what my dad's been into like I don't want to give it up or is it was it really no, because my dad confused? wasn't in that okay he was he was more he was more like a historian
0: well he percent. didn't even really get he was a historian he and my uncle were Kentucky historians their whole life. My uncle had the largest library on Kentucky history they they just loved everything about Kentucky We started this together and he helped me for about two years. And, you know, he was doing more of the back office stuff. And then he kind of pulled back and really just started researching and writing. But because of that, you know, for the last 25 years, we're about to go um, on a trip. We're going to go over to Ireland and Scotland, do some distillery tours, you know, to have that passion together and to have that interest together. That's. You got to buy another Bushmills barrel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you're
2: over there. Try. <laughs> <laughs> Probably
3: won't be a thousand dollars ahead.
1: I think Pernod
2: might have something
1: to say about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. yeah. Right, owners of <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, I meant red <laughs> <laughs> if, Yeah,
0: if we can get one of those red best 27s, I think we'll be doing <laughs> yeah. okay. Oh, yeah, oh, so good! Yeah, that's so good. So good.
3: So let's also rewind. You know, I, I kind of want to talk about those. One of the great things is uh, that video that you all came out with, the 25-year the anniversary, the miles, the road ahead. And one of the things that really stuck out in me was the picture that you were sitting there talking to your dad with. And you said, remember our first Whiskey Fest? And you said, hey, he goes, yeah, we were kind of like pushed to the side. We were the, the stepchildren of the bourbon industry. Kind of talk about those early whiskey fests and like, how hard was it to just push your product? I mean, I think we,
0: we, we talked about it, like nobody really wanted it, but even at a whiskey fest at the whiskey fest, 85, 90% of the people that were there were there for Scotch whiskey, not bourbon. So there wasn't, not only were we the stepchildren of the bourbon category, but we were totally the stepchildren of the whole whiskey category. Yeah. You are fucked. (laughs) I mean, unbelievably enough, somehow a group of Hasidic Jews found us and loved Jefferson's and our densest market were these Hasidic sections of Brooklyn I would go ride with them out there and I mean it that was our biggest selling market, and so every whiskey fest, those owners of those stores would come back and we'd have a great time together. It was pretty amazing that that's who we found as our, our first market, but yeah you know, I think I've said this before. Julian and I, we we had a deal. If you buy five cases of Pappy Van Winkle, you get a case of Jefferson's no charge, or five cases of Jefferson's Reserve, get a case of Pappy no charge. And we 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 did less than a dozen deals, I guarantee it. So it was it, nobody cared, nobody cared back then, and it was persistence. And so at the same time, you know, Julian was out there, I was out there, the Cool were out there doing our things, and you know, trying to really. You know, work at the higher end of the market, but Woodford Reserve was out, small batch collection from Jim Beam was out there, so you know it was those bigger guys that were really paving the road. We were kind of dancing off in our own little area, but if it wasn't that initial burst by those guys, kind of plowing the road for us, and further back than that, Bill Samuels, I think, you know, people instead of cutting prices, actually raising prices and showing what better bourbons are all about. Those, you know, that's what really plowed the road for what we have today. You know, there were eight distilleries in Kentucky. I think only ten in the United States making bourbon when I started.
1: Did they? Those guys embrace you, or they were just like, uh, or were they like uh, <laughs> I lost. Trey? What's all that snicker,
0: <laughs> Trey? What you're doing is cute. <laughs> you know. No, they didn't. Neither one. Um, I went So one of the first things I did was go to the WSWA convention in San Francisco.
3: That's the, the wine one, Wine and right?
0: Spirits Whosalers Association. Yeah. So I was staying actually on the couch of uh, one of Owsley Brown's nieces at the time. So he was the CEO of Brown Foreman. as I'm staying there, my dad calls me and said, Trey, we got a letter from Brown Foreman and we got a letter from Heaven Hill, cease and desist. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I've quit my job. I've put everything I have into this. What was the rationale? Like why did they both wanna... of them thought that our bottle was too similar to theirs. So the Elijah Craig and the Ah, uh, um, the eighteen year or mm-hmm. kind of the yeah. And then and Woodford Reserve. So yeah, certainly I mean just the
3: shape of the bottle, the name, like what was what was the rationale? I'm I'm just genuinely A, a little of all the above. Okay. They're just they're just trying to find ways to you know Slash I mean, you. yeah, I mean, it, it happens. I, I, yeah. I think nowadays it's probably a little more relaxed than it used to be. But back right, then, right. back
0: then there wasn't anyone else coming in the industry. So, you know, they're protective. And the one of the smartest things that I ever did was say, all right, it wasn't too smart. It was very obvious. I couldn't fight them, So I just went to him hat in hand and said, okay, what do you want me to change? Tell me what you don't like about this and we'll make the changes. So I did that with both of them. And, you know, it changed our package a little bit, not too much. And I thought that was, oh my gosh, we'll change our package. We'll lose all of our customers. Both of them won't be back next year. <laughs> you know, you know. So no, not exactly welcome into the category. And it's different. You know, it's great back on the distilling in or the production side, the people that are really in the industry. It is a very close knit group. I think more of the marketing and out on the sales, you know, that it's, it's really cut through, cut through. But but it, it's amazing. I don't know any other industry like this that is, is open to share ideas and to, to help each other out. And it and really each is other. Yeah. <laughs> and to each other. Right? <laughs> it's
1: very unique. Yeah. One yeah. of the fascinating things of, about Jefferson's is that you know, it's not unique to source and build your brand, this and that, but you've kind of never sought out to go and build your own distillery, this and that. It's always been a, you know, a sourcing model, you blending, you hanging your hat on, picking the flavors, doing this, and which I really love and appreciate. Why did you think that was the the way to go? Obviously up front, it was because of cost, Cat, but it, as you started to gain a little bit of
0: traction. And what, it gives us more flexibility as one. Um, two, I've been contract distilling with great distilleries here in Kentucky for decades. So I know what that juice is going to taste like. I know some people in your audience don't like the word juice, which- okay. It's okay, I like juice, they'll get used to it. <laughs> and you know, certainly when I started, the business model doesn't make sense. When you started distillery, building the distillery is the cheap part. As you all know, putting down enough liquid to support what your brand will do from there is very difficult. And then where most of your money should go as we've talked about is into sales and marketing so it's a tough business model really it's a tough business model when you go in to start it from from the, the very beginning most people that have done that they made a fortune somewhere else and that
3: allows them to do that this is mostly their hobby at the end of the day not a not their, right. not their not, tr- not, tr- not trying they'd... to
0: buy diapers for twins and <laughs> yeah. making 15 yeah. grand a year
1: Hence why I'm still spraying lawns. <laughs> exactly. You're lawn, to be exact. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Trey. We appreciate it.
0: you got it. Um, it's something that I still would like to have eventually. And I think we will at some point. And I'm excited about that prospect because it allows you to control your destiny more.
1: Talk about some of the hurdles though, of sourcing contract distilling, you know, from the early days to now, like what is, Because obviously whiskey is booming now and it's very popular and it's hard to get access and this and that. What, how have you all been able to like get ahead of that, I guess?
0: Yeah. 25 years of relationships. It was a lot easier to source back when nobody wanted it. I mean, literally there were eight distilleries in Kentucky. We went to all of them and almost all of them were more than happy to sell to us.
3: Mm -hmm. Do you remember how to start those conversations? You just... Do you know the master distiller? Do you pick up the phone to the the front desk per I and mean, there's not a front desk person, there's not a concierge, like how do you how do you even You know, like-
0: luckily you're in Kentucky and this is a pretty small community, so yeah. You know, Louisville's a big you- small town. Exactly. Yeah. You know somebody that works at Pretty Much every distillery, obviously, you all do now because of, yeah, but what they don't take do. our calls. <laughs> <laughs>
3: really weren't podcasts back then either, so <laughs> yeah. You know, that's true.
0: Well, nobody was knocking at their door back then, yeah. Um, Evan Coolsveen was also extremely instrumental, uh, he really, really
3: helped me out. And that's Evan and, from Willett,
1: distillery yeah, by the yeah, way, yeah, Drew's uh, dad, KBD, or whatever, because they'd started up not they helped start not only yours but several brands in the Correct. industry, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And Evan's just a a wonderful, wonderful man. Very set in his ways, very eccentric in some ways, but a gem of a person. And he introduced me to a lot of people as well. Actually, I think it was, it was actually one of the big distilleries that uh, led us to Evan. So he was very instrumental in introducing me to the right people to talk to. And then... He you was know, building relationships because a lot of the procurement over the years, you know, these guys are in that job for two years and then they get rotated out. So you're getting passed from one to the next and you know, it's kind of how I got those seventeen year old barrels of Stitzel Weller. Got from Diageo was, you know, he and I hit it off. And as he was getting transferred out, he gave me a call and he's like, Hey, I've got these barrels. Are you interested? Can I had my tail wagging behind me? Yeah, <laughs> trying like, to have a poker face. If like, the if the price <laughs> is right, <laughs> like, maybe. Yeah, send me some samples and pricing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that was just you know through a relationship that's been made over the years, and then those have been perpetuated down. And so when you get that call from them, and they're like, "We got these seventeen-year-old
1: Stitzel-Willer barrels," and you're like, "You know, playing it cool, or whatever," but it's time to come. Like, okay, I need to buy these and it didn't sound like you're stocking a ton of money away from selling a case here, a case there, 10 case orders. What do you, what was your mindset? Like I got to get it every drop of this or.
0: Well, yeah, this one, uh, you know, it, it's a gamble, you know, you, you know that one you know, that 400 barrels was a big buy for me at the time.
3: 400 barrels is a big buy anytime. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So, uh,
3: could you have bought more?
0: No, That was it. And out of the first hundred we dumped, 12 were completely dry. Yeah. So, you know, but we had a, a calculation that kind of made up for that. But, you know, that it, it was a gamble. It's like, all right, I think I can sell you. I think this is great juice. I think I can sell it for a hundred dollars. Think about if we, kind of the absurdity. Luck, of that, if we're right? lucky. If know. we're lucky. I think I think we can get nineteen ninety nine for this. Well, <laughs> not really.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I remember back then, just even like when Parker's was coming out, or you know, you talk about the Elijah Craig 1820, and they were like $75 a bottle. And I'm like, oh, my boy, I'm putting my whole like month's allowance right. in there. You know, it was, yeah.
3: it was like really expensive, you know, back then. Because your idea was premiumization. Like you had the idea of premiumization very, very early on and said, I'm going to create a premium bourbon brand.
0: Right. I knew I couldn't compete at any other level. So, um, but that you know that was a gamble, and one you get you know sometimes you got to take those gambles, and you know luckily I was able to originally buy and uh, you know, sell it, and then buy some more, and then I started putting down more and more.
2: When did Castle Brands come into the picture?
0: Two thousand eight.
2: So that was that was you got a little influx of help
0: mm-hmm. at that
2: time, and so you had a little bit more buying power. We saw that's when we started seeing. A continuous expressions of seventeen, eighteen, and then you'd sell a 21-year rye, you know, not too long thereafter. What was that like when you had, when you had some support
3: going in? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today, Shopify.com/slash-bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon, and that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at BourbonPlus.com. That's P-L-U-S.com and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription.
2: When did Castle Brands come into the picture?
0: 2008. So
2: that was, that was you got a little influx of help
0: mm-hmm. at that
2: time, and so you had a little bit more buying power. We saw, that's when we started seeing... A continuous expressions of seventeen, eighteen and then you'd sell a twenty one year rye, you know, not too long thereafter. What was that like when you had when you had some support
0: going in? It was a two man operation before that. It was my dad and I. And yeah, you know, he was he was down in Florida during the winter. So he was doing more than just trying to help out.
3: He was being more than retired at that point. Yeah. He wasn't
0: in Australia slinging pink energy drinks no. <laughs> no, he wasn't. I've got to get you all some of that. <laughs> so you all can go ahead and really give me hell. they um, <laughs> will be in the Fraser Museum right next to your dad's photo. It should be. <laughs> Actually, I've got one can of pink and one can of Vegas left, and that's it. <laughs> Let's see what were we saying. I can't even remember. Oh, we were talking about Castle yeah. What, what, what
1: <laughs> going from a two man operation? Two man oh, yeah, operation. Yeah, to yeah. having some yeah yeah.
0: And still, that was a very small operation, but it took a lot of the heat off. You know, mm-hmm. just yeah. You had some support. You had people that already had relationships within distributors. You had not many, but feet on the streets. You had uh, it the was ability yeah. to buy more and more at that mm-hmm.
2: time. And when did the you you start seeing the writing on the wall that this this 17 to 21 year old stuff is going to be going away and, you know even though it wasn't quite what it is now you could see the writing on the wall that you had to differentiate yourself you couldn't rely on whiskey alone you had to do some unique when did that light bulb go off
0: it about 2008 and it was it was a combination of realizing that we had to do something else but also there started to be an audience or a consumer that wanted something else. Because if we would have done any of this stuff, you know, in the first 10 years, totally fallen on deaf ears, mm-hmm. nobody would be interested. You know, there were no podcasts to talk to. There were no bourbon authors that it was, this just wasn't in existence. There wasn't, you know, in actually, I don't know why I'm pulling this out. You all know what a smartphone is. Yeah, I think This is, yeah. a, <laughs> Is that 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 a text message machine? Wait, is that
2: where the fax comes from? That's that's where
0: that thermal paper comes out of there. It's amazing. Fred might not know what it is. He's at book fairs. (laughs) Old school. It's when people could geek out on bourbon. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys feed them every day with so much great information. You were asking what was popular back then vodka and here's what i say about vodka you remember something about mary when he picks up the hitchhiker oh, seven minute abs <laughs> yeah yeah well i'm gonna it, do it, six, six minutes minute <laughs> nobody by five minute. <laughs> six times distilled seven times distilled. we got eight times distilled vodka okay and 30 flavors yeah then. right right who cares there's a lot to care about in whiskey specifically in bourbon in my mind because I love everything that comes out of Kentucky. And now, God, what's happening around the country is unbelievable. And I think the reason that people in Kentucky are so open to sharing, you know, if we just, you know, rising tide, all ships rise with a rising tide. And the bourbon category has done a total 180. It is, it's it's unimaginable where it is today from where it was back then. I was going to say that. I
3: think it's safe to say that. You and Julian being able to say it there and trade cases for cases like that's, those are stories that you're not going to hear today. Those are stories of people that have paved the path on what made bourbon the way it is. Granted, you had your big eight distilleries. They had the, you know, they had their white labels. They had their middle shelf. They had their whatever that made them who they are. However, when you look at the broad range of what could be in bourbon, like there's only a few people that could say that they were able to develop a product they were able to blend things they were able to take things from different distillers able to actually make something different and actually put it out there I, I honestly feel that when you when you talk about it like this like you pave the path on what is the modern day bourbon consumer even though they might not think about it they might think that oh trey has been all over the place They're, you know he's putting barrels on boats he's putting ships on he's putting it on marshes he's putting them everywhere but you're doing that for a different reason. But I think that at the very core of it, of what it was, is that it is a, it is just a love of bourbon that got you to where it is.
0: And that's certainly the foundation of it. And then I don't know the first thing about distilling. I know enough now to be dangerous, and that's about it. Isn't that the best part, though?
3: <laughs> we always People always ask us, you need to start a distillery? We're like, hell no. We're not, <laughs> not starting a distillery. <laughs> we're not distillers. But we can taste good whiskey when we taste it. And put them together. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And that's what I try to do is take what these guys have done to make great whiskey. And I try to put, it's really more time, money, and effort into it to hopefully making it better. You know, that might not always be this case. I know Fred didn't like one of my products, at, our Pritchard Hill cast finish. Yeah. You know, and that's one of my favorite that's ones. That's already goes to book fairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a guy tell me when he first tried it, he's like, Trey, when I first had that, I hated it. And he's like, and then I opened my mind to what it can be. And he described it. If you've got a McDonald's cup and you're taking a sip of what you think is a Coke and it's iced tea. And he's like, I was expecting a Coke and it was iced tea. But then I started getting, exploring the flavors and I loved it, but not everybody's going to like all of them. Baskin Robbins had 32 flavors for a reason. So What I'm really trying to do is put stories in bottles that tell you why it tastes the way it does and try to bring different influences in and different technologies. You know, technologies improved everybody's life and every product in so many different ways. When I started, we did it that way. My daddy did it that way. His daddy did it that way. And that's how we're going to do it. One an aha aha moment to me was going to independent stave companies home office in uh, in Missouri and working on barrels for the wine industry and spirits industries around the in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why are we only doing four levels of char in Kentucky? That doesn't make any sense. I know. And why are they always three and four? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Are there really four levels? <laughs> yeah. What defines a level? Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, A lot of it was just dumb luck because attrition, I stayed in it when I could have given up. You know, a lot of times the market turned and I knew my limitations. I know I'm not a distiller and I had great access to great whiskey and I had time. So, you know, you've got a hundred different experiments a couple of them are gonna turn out, or hopefully a couple of them are gonna turn out. If not, you're really doing something wrong.
3: As long as you have a like five percent success rate, you're gonna be okay with hundred percent. And right. the big
2: one for you, you're known for it. We get asked you got your cup there with a the name on it, and people ask me about it all the time, is is ocean. And yes, you've given this story many, many times, but tell us the give us the background on ocean, kind of what was the light bulb moment with that.
0: Almost every we've got twenty-two expressions of Jeffersons now. Twenty of those twenty-two, we do more than distill it, age it, cut it, to proof and bottle. Almost all of them have come together over cocktails or over bourbon. Really, on. we should three keep dra- two, should two keep in the morning. Wasn't that, wasn't what that what?
1: seven distilled vodka? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're
3: gonna keep it to a doubler,
0: or we're gonna get a tripler, quadrupler. <laughs> Why, Why not?
3: You know, just keep adding it to it, mm-hmm. America. <laughs>
0: <Man>. <laughs> a bunch of us were down in Costa Rica for our 40th birthday. We were on a friend of mine's ship. And when we got done trying to surf and catching fish, we drank a lot of bourbon on the bow of the ship. And I saw the whiskey sloshing back and forth in the bottle. And I thought, this happens in a bottle. It'll happen in a barrel. And that's going to change maturation. Really? I wanted to go meet my friend on that ship at exotic ports around the world. It's a, it's a good excuse to travel. This is a good excuse to travel. Exactly, it's an, ex- it's an
3: expense at the end of the day, it's so perfect. Why not? Exactly.
0: And we put New Phil Bourbon on on the ship originally. Oh, it was New Phil. It was oh, then. I, I not thought today.
3: A, I thought it was. I thought it was H product. I didn't
2: know it was New. I fill. remember the first sample I got. It was black. It was like so, and I was like, "This is." Uh, I I think I said it on the film. I said, "Did they put? Did they put a nail in this? You know, I mean, it was like so, just rusted out." Is like, this like, rum? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh wow! Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So he's I mean, showing us right was, now. It is. Yeah. It is about as dark as that the tablecloth like that we're on right now. It is. It is like coffee,
0: and it was. It was thick, and it was delicious, and like whoa!
2: <laughs> it was definitely when I tasted it. I was like, "What the hell is this?" You know, it had that kind of like definitely not bourbon kind of feel to it, and and it is. Did it
3: have? Because at at a because I remember. It was out there for three years, right? So you think around yeah. three three and a half years in mm-hmm. New fill. I mean, not even four years. Did you remember any like grainy notes, or was it just like no? I just, no. Like, I don't. Syrup? I don't.
2: No. I don't remember any grain. Uh, I, I remember it being like uh, brine and and burnt caramel. You know, just imagine like exactly uh, like almost like, like a, a salt like a yeah. salted caramel, but more. Uh, more uh enhanced than that. And it was like I remember when I got it, and I think I might still have the sample, a little bit of it left anyway. And I was like, I just need to in the freezer. What the hell is this? <laughs> so. But uh that was, f- was fascinating. And and over the years, you know, it's developed its own kind of like brand and and I, I wanna say that when people think of Jefferson's, they think of Ocean First.
0: Yeah, a lot of times it it's it's inevitable that somebody's always asking me about it. And it's, you know, it's different. And a lot of times people say, oh, this is a gimmick. And then they taste it.
2: I was one of those early on. Yeah. You know, and you, uh, and we, we had some fun cocktails over it. Like, hey, why don't you come shark fishing with me sometime, Fred? <laughs> we'll put you in
3: the
0: We'll put you in the cage. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. The well, that, door will the be open. Or <laughs> <laughs> not. Uh, you know, and it led me to do our Jefferson's journey, which is just retracing how bourbon was originally taken or actually how whiskey originally k- transformed into bourbon because it was put in barrels right. in the first time as it floated down to New Orleans and then put on ships and sailed around Florida. and up. So I recreated that a few years ago because my theory was, I think people up in the Northeast that were buying bourbon for the first time and willing to pay so much more for it that that whiskey tastes a lot more like Jefferson's ocean than typical bourbon or bourbon that's made and aged here in Kentucky. So when I did that, the most expensive bourbon ever produced, I'm sure, but we did two barrels on that journey, took us four boats. We had three named storms. We destroyed one boat on the way, but when it landed a year, to the it's date collateral at that point, <laughs> in yep. the price of the bottle, <laughs> Um, but that whiskey, when it landed in New York a year to the date that from when we took off, so it was about 18 months at the time. Cause I tried to do it as historically accurate as yeah. possible. It was as dark as that 16 year old that we double barreled. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievably easy drinking. It did have a little graininess on the front, but it was so much more developed than bourbon distilled and aged in Kentucky at the same time. To me, that said. That's what made bourbon proliferate in Kentucky, yeah you, know, you can make bourbon anywhere we've got great limestone water, but there's yeah that those are those are from the destination
2: that's what people remembered it from when in New Orleans there's like all these papers in New Orleans requesting Kentucky whiskey, and they would sometimes call it red. Their definition of color was a little different than ours today uh we'd call it amber, but that was the call out, and that was what what made it unique and on any given time, how many how many barrels do you have at sea or on river?
0: We now really have four expressions of Jefferson's Ocean. We've got a regular Ocean, which is a rye bourbon. We have our cast strength version of that that just came out right now. We are launching in just a couple of weeks our Ocean Rye that's been double barreled. 25% of those double barrels are toasted barrels, a um, little bit higher proof. So... It's, you know, it's really taken a life on of its own. We've got uh, you know, plenty of people who've collected all of them. So we've got, we, we've got a good amount of barrels out there right now. And um, just with this. It, keep, ship,
3: it keeps warehouse space low because it's just on a container ships, right? So that, that that makes it all. We Can we see, will we ever get a chance to have like a Jefferson's ocean cruise
0: where you can hang out with the barrels? We've talked about this yeah. and yes, I'd love to do it. I've had some discussions
3: because <laughs> that would be that would be the it's ultimate barrel. pick. get to the legalities of making sure that you can just like have have a relationship with a barrel at sea.
2: Well, I'm not talking sexually. Ken. I mean,
3: you brought up sexually. I'm just saying if you want to drink from it,
1: what's uh what's the storage fees like on the ocean versus
3: <laughs> <laughs> versus
0: in Kentucky? It well, it's so. How work. does that
1: work? What do you you, you rent a container or is that okay?
0: So, what we do is we put the barrels into it, it depends if they're top filled or side side filled, but assuming they're side filled, we put them in the um, in cradles like wine cradle yeah. packs that go into the container. And then the containers are contracted to be on the top of the very uh, front of the ship. So it gets as much pitch as possible. And then we've kind of got sunroofs cut out into the containers. So we own all the containers.
3: I so would that, imagine that's gotta be like the cheapest real estate at the front at the top of the ship. Because nobody, it might, nobody wants anything they can sway back yeah. and forth. <laughs> well, yeah, you like, no um,
1: don't
0: put your electronics up there. No. <laughs> uh, yeah when you specify where you want it you have to pay a little bit more for that uh, Okay. Them. And because of uh just what's going on with the whole supply chain and you know that's been a real concern. So we've thrown a lot of barrels out on the ocean to get ahead of it oh, wow. in case we have an issue.
1: Yeah. Do you have like containers of, cause like we have containers of glass just in there. Do you have containers of barrels just
0: like waiting to be ported or, or just pulled it? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know, we've had a couple big leakers. We now have basically absorbing carpets <laughs> on the bottom because we've had some leakers and been stuck in the Panama canal and <laughs> <laughs> it's an expensive process, but yeah, yeah. we are the, you know, now it's the number one bourbon over $70. A, yeah. A, a good good amount. So,
2: it's a top on the drizzly top 25, it's like in the top 20, something yeah, like that. Over the
0: holidays, it was number 10 at top
3: gifted.
2: So, so yeah. I mean, that. I mean, it's a, it, it's an incredible, it has reach,
3: you know, it has a story. Yeah. I think that's the coolest thing yeah. about it, it. is that it is that has a story. I mean, you could talk about, you know a lot of different brands that are out there and whether they're kind of tied to a a horse race or anything like that but this is i mean this has a story like this has this has a passion this has as this has a thought behind it this has something that you had originally just manifest and just said like oh my gosh like this could this could mean something and fast forward three years you're like holy crap, it actually did i mean it but it's' it's, it's a it's a timetable to make it happen too
0: it, it's it's exactly what bourbon drinking's all about. If you can take a bottle over to your buddy's house, tell them a story about it, sitting there, you know, does have, it's got a lot of, you know, Corona beer in it. You pop that top, people think they're on a beach. You open that bottle and you're like, God, I'm a, I am could be on a boat right now. This damn barrel was on a boat. Man, I want to be on a boat. Don't you want to be us go somewhere. Let's go somewhere, on a, let's go somewhere a- on a boat
3: together. <laughs> Fred, you own a boat, right?
0: No. Yeah. No. Fred, Fred, own a
3: boat. That's so we, it's boat time. I don't want to own a boat. You own the boat exactly i'll fill We're up boat. with a boat's the best guy yeah. I'll, I'll pay for gas <laughs> well half no, the gas how know. many
0: voyages are you on now or do you still 27 27 27 so we have a ship's log with each one of them and then i remember everybody.
1: talking to brad paisley about it. he's like there's some voyages that aren't on the label that aren't on the label then so he like figured out that so he has all the voyages he's got whatever. all of them yeah
0: i brought him voyage one we made a nice little trade but uh Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that they love collecting those voyages and they're, it's great. Dusty Hunter, the people going back, I just found voyage, you know, seven amazing. So it's stories. And that's what's so, to me, so important about bourbon is it's stories and bottles.
2: Yeah. And, and I, I will say, I said this on the film for your anniversary and I'll say it again, nobody ever in the history and and the future of bourbon would have ever thought of this ever
0: you know, it, it, well one thank you and and two you know it, it just seemed like a natural to me and you know it's my dad's book has a chapter on how to bring bourbon to market from Kentucky up to the yeah. east coast so hey wait a second that's been done this okay almost every one of my products have been put together collaborating with someone else mhm over drinking bourbon together and just talking. And one thing that's great is collaborating with people outside of the industry because they don't see the limitations. I might have the limitations in here. I can't see the floors through the trees sometime, right. but they can have an idea. Sean Brock and I were gonna do a product together. And we sat down together for two and a half hours. We had a few bourbons together before we ever brought up doing something together. And it was like a zipper coming together he brought up an idea. I said, but yeah, that couldn't work because of this. I said, well, what if we did this instead? And in a matter of moments had put together a, a great idea to do something. So it's, that's the other great thing. It's, you meet so many great people who have done so many cool things. And I just kind of look to see how can I incorporate that in bourbon.
1: And now you have people like, I think the other day we were reading about somebody who's Throwing barrels in a Jeep and going off road in out west or something. I'm like, Trey's gonna be pissed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. waiting, I'm waiting for you to, you and uh, Elon Musk, uh, to get together, get the sky to yeah. uh, to do something. In our bag, you know, there's been some scotch, One of those Starlink, some, some aging upstairs, uh, upstairs, up in space. That's the next horizon for you. So, when can we expect uh, a Jefferson's uh, Skyline or... Well, space Shuttle. Space mission. Shuttle. Yeah.
0: So, well, two things about that. One, there's a company in Lexington, Kentucky, believe it or not, called Space Tango, which is a cargo company for SpaceX. We may have had some discussions about this. Oh okay. Yeah. I love That'll it. Really so, you know, there's also... I always look at the line of, I don't want to jump the shark. So, doing something like that would be fun because that, you know, very, very limited amount and you can raise some good publicity about it for, if you're doing it for a cause or whatever, but in all of this that you, you know, that we're doing, and and I give a a lot more wiggle room than some others. Flavored whiskeys, I think are one of the greatest things that ever happened to the category. It's brought so many people into the category that would never touch it. So I'm more liberal on where the lines may or may not be. And I like to try to push the lines. But yeah, I am conscious of don't jump the shark. <laughs> <laughs> don't do something. Just stick trying
3: and true as much as long as you can. Yeah,
2: yeah. maybe yeah. that's the tw- maybe the twins will uh, will take that on. They'll
0: take the next step. They'll
2: they'll, they'll be the they'll be SpaceX partners. <laughs> Could be them. SpaceX,
3: SpaceX lemonade. There you go. And there we are. So <laughs> how
0: about
2: What's that, a, man? Uh,
3: uh, yeah. But Trey, this was awesome, man. This was yeah. great to be able to sit down with you and be able to have a, a third conversation with you, but not just talk about this. Really was a look back at 25 years of history, a look back at what it was to kind of like really grind at it. And I think there's probably a lot of entrepreneurs out there that could probably really relate to this and see what it's like to yeah. really carve a path for a lot of people in this industry, including, including people us, like us, like us um, making sure that people like him, like Fred, get a chance to be able to try ocean's number one and be like, what the hell is this? Like, I mean, it's just, it is truly a, an entrepreneurial kind of spirit. Just be able to see like, what can, what can break the bounds? What can we do with this? And, and how can we, you know, how can you build a business off of something like this? Because you were getting to the time in what was it? 97, is that what it was right? 97, yeah. When nobody cared. Nobody cared. Nobody, right, cared. nobody right. cared. I mean, it was, we we were alive in 97. We didn't care, but we yeah. did Were
0: you all even alive? I used to be the <laughs> young guy like you guys. <laughs> See?
3: <laughs> I think we could barely drink. Actually, we're getting very 97, close. 97. I was like seventh grade. I, I was going to say 96-02. 2 02-03. That's when we could. I was in 92. Fort Benning, Georgia, getting the shit kicked out of me by a drill sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, that's this is what you really look at as a a real pioneer of American whiskey and bourbon. Yeah, yeah. to somebody that is really open up the, well, the grounds of what it could be, and 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 not only does he have that, but he has the stories that nobody else could tell of trying to sell seventeen-year sits of Weller and just it just couldn't happen.
2: And you know, you you heard about the failures, but what we really mostly heard about it was the overcoming of that. And every business owner faces it, and. Trey, just uh, you know, just bring your friend and and having a good professional relationship over the years. It's been amazing to see what you've accomplished and um, I, I can't wait to see what the next 25 years are about.
0: Thank you. And I can't wait either. I've, I've got we've got some fun things coming. But you guys have all done it too. I mean, think about how you've evolved. This this great passion of ours has allowed us all to do something that was probably not even a, a, an acorn of a dream. That right. Yeah.
1: People yeah. ask what about the thin bourbon stuff. And I'm like, how much time you got? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's
0: going to take a while to explain. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing that we've all been able to figure out how to, to incorporate this into our lives, be part of our livelihood. And God, is there anything more fun than being no. involved in the bourbon business? We
2: got the best gig in town. <laughs> and there we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, I think we all yep. think we do. Yep.
1: And we're pretty damn lucky because of that. No more Mondays, even though we're on a Monday. <laughs> right. This is being recorded on Monday, but I know, no I, more Mondays for until us. Until it comes time for tax season, I texted right? the <laughs> fellas <laughs> this
2: morning. I was like, I can't wait. I'm so excited about today. Yeah. You know, because I get to hang out with, with friends
3: and sip some bourbon. And,
0: Isn't that great? You know,
2: that's yeah. what it's all about.
0: Well, He actually
3: did send the text message this morning. That's a, that's a true story. Yeah. No, no joke there. But-
0: was this before or after the book fair well i was gonna say say,
2: book fairs be damned (laughs) sorry
0: i
3: couldn't help myself
2: it's sad actually book fairs are going away they're not they're not doing as well these days i I love love it
3: it. yeah so trey thank you once again for coming on the show today for anybody that wants to follow you or figure out what kind of next adventure you're on how do they
0: get in touch with you jefferson's bourbon um pretty much across all the social channels I'm not too much on. No,
2: you, get, you do your polo on your personal Instagram. Tell people about that so they can see you're in the polo stuff.
0: All right. Um, <laughs> goes, all right.
1: <laughs> I
3: didn't want to do it, but we're here now. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I
0: think um, <laughs> Trey Zoe on Instagram and Trey Zoller on Facebook. I don't know. I guess that's what it is. I would
3: imagine so. What about
0: TikTok? I
3: don't do TikTok. We'll get there.
0: We'll get there. <laughs> Remember, I'm not I used either. to be the, uh, the young guy. Yeah. <laughs> no longer.
3: Yeah. I'm not either. So, But it is it is fun to be able to watch all the adventures that you go on, be able to look at what's the next thing that's coming from you and from Jefferson. So definitely go and follow Trey wherever you get your socials. But also follow us, Bourbon Pursuit, and Fred Minnick wherever you get your socials. And I
2: would like to say, if, if in, everybody listening, if you can give a tweet out there, uh, for, uh, Chet Zoller to get into the, uh, bourbon hall of fame. There Absolutely. Thank that you, Fred. Yeah. For that. Thank
0: you, Fred. That's, uh, actually I sent something out. Steve Thompson, who put together Kentucky artists and distillery, just a legend in the business and all around great guy. When he passed this year, I, I tried to get in touch with a couple people to get. Steve and my dad inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that would be an amazing thing for them. So I
3: appreciate that. Definitely be able to see while they're still here. I mean, just yeah. it's just one of a great recognitions, especially for somebody who's documented most of bourbon history. Yeah. So it's fantastic. Yeah, sure. But again, thank you, Trey, for coming on the show. Follow everybody. Make sure you send a message. Uh, if you want to share more about Jefferson's, share more about Bourbon Pursuit, make sure you give it to your friends. And that's the best way to share a podcast. But with that, cheers, everybody.